We are in uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 49 this morning. Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of a good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And thus far, the Word of God. Let's pray together. And we do pray. Our prayers are that you would break through the, any coldness in hearts and minds, that you would awaken us to your grace, to your mercy to the significance, the import of what we're about as we worship you this morning in hymns and in giving and the singing, uh, in praying, uh, the hearing of Scripture, confessing of our sins. And now we come to your word again asking, break our hearts. Not in the sense of making us sad, but in the sense of through the collected scum around them so that we might again experience the goodness and the grace of the gospel in its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Of course, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and, uh, in, or Sermon on the Plain in Luke, we call it often. But from the words, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are, so these verses... Jesus is describing a life that is not just possible, but with him and in him is in fact typical. And if you stop at the words, blessed are, you really don't expect what Jesus said next. But the fact is, he is, a, he is describing it as a considerate all joy when you encounter various trials sort of mindset, like the one James talks about. And so shouldn't what he teaches us about our lives very stringent disciples, despite that it appears uh, very difficult, very stringent, perhaps even bad news for many, shouldn't what he teaches us about our lives as disciples be enough to push us who live for him way beyond the excitement of a new girlfriend or boyfriend that we thought, you know, this is as good as it gets. Or past the excitement of of getting into the college that we thought would would open the doors to the greatest of possible futures for us. And past that new job excitement and even way past the joy and the hope and the am I really doing this excitement that, that you felt when you're standing up saying I do together with the one you love. 
See, Jesus is describing in this sermon what it's like when the Spirit who lives in us wonderfully, in fact, amazingly, freed us to a mindset and to a lifestyle that brings a touch of heaven into a world that's anything but heaven. From Jesus' own lips comes this picture of the abundant life where still waters and food in the presence of our enemies is found. This sermon of Jesus is, for his disciples, the gate that opens out to, the, to walk the path of righteousness for his name's sake. This is the escape from the restless and the ceaseless wanderings of this world that's, uh, that is offered to us and to our children. This is the life of hope and of love and of joy and of peace and of steadfast love and mercy that follows us all the days of our lives. That's what he's talking about, particularly as he comes to the end. It's the way that ends in the house of the Lord forever where we redeemed, fully sanctified, glorified saints of God tirelessly and effortlessly enjoy singing the hallelujah who is the lamb and that's because taking this sermon from start to finish this is the picture of our messiah's own life the life he lived and now has given to us to walk in his steps as we live out being his kingdom on earth in this time between his first and second coming and so as was, was said over the world at creation, this is good. Our passage today is the summary and is the application of all that Jesus has said before this. His what you can expect if you follow me and what you can expect if you don't end him. And so my first point, in his kingdom, your life is predictably fruitful. In his kingdom, your life is predictably fruitful. That's verses 43 to 45. When you read the start of Jesus' sermon, you realize that as the people of God's kingdom, we own nothing. Instead, we are stewards of everything that we've been given. That is, we are poor in this world, but rich in his you realize that we are a kingdom of people who pray for those who hate us and provide for our enemies when they are in need, just as Jesus did and as Jesus does. We are a people who love with the First Corinthians 13 kind of love, even for those who can't and won't be of any benefit to us. It's who we are as sons and daughters of God's kingdom. For the joy set before him is just the way that Jesus freely and selflessly loved and served you. And from this sermon you realize we're not responsible to judge and condemn others. But instead we're free also for the joy set before us to selflessly love and serve the people of this world in his name. <laughs> now, now first understand that when Jesus talks about producing good fruit, fruit in verses 43 and 44, he's not talking about just doing some good things. What he means by good fruit is words and actions that come from people 
who are new creations. People who are born again to eternal life. People born of the Spirit and so unavoidably have and are growing in a new motivation, a new love, a new heart, a new mind to live for Him who died for us. You, you, you know that, and you know that because though unbelievers are listening into this sermon, the passage tells us He's talking to His disciples, followers of His, who are learning that they are citizens of a totally different kingdom with a totally different king who brings with him a totally different way of thinking and living. And so, yes, this, this good fruit, bad fruit discussion does require us, based on how Jesus describes citizens of the kingdom, to ask ourselves, is this me? And then to exclaim in, in heart, depending on what you find. This is me. But we tend to camp on staring in the mirror, wondering if we measure up, and then assuming that we don't. But today, I want you to focus more on the blessed's part. That is, the joy of this life with him and in his kingdom in this sin-soaked world. I understand why we focus on trying not to be the bad fruit instead of enjoying growing in the good. A great problem we Christians face is, is that our sin and our particular sins haven't been taken out of our experience yet. So we have to be a bit cynical or at least careful about whether the real motivation behind what we do and say is our love for Jesus or, in fact, something else. And that need to be careful came home to me recently when I bought a new fancy camera, the kind that has settings that take a while to figure out. It takes these great pictures, whether it's landscapes, whether it's animals or people, but with one consistent exception— And the one consistent exception is when someone uses it to take a picture of me. (laughs) Apparently, my fancy camera has an effect setting that's marked old with oversized stomach. Because when people take pictures of me with my camera, that's what I see. I mean, in the mirror when I'm shaving, I mean, I don't see Tom Cruise. But I see a pretty nice-looking fellow looking a lot under 70 with the stomach of a 40-year-old. The camera shows a guy close to 70, some rather disconcerting features, and a tummy two or three times what the mirror shows. And so I find myself at a crossroads. Will I believe my camera? Especially since when everybody else looks at the picture of me from my camera and they say, What a great camera. That looks just like you. Here's what I figured out. What I see in the mirror ignores a lot. But the camera doesn't tell the whole story either. What the camera doesn't show is the progress that my stoutness exercises have helped me make in my tummy wars. It doesn't tell how many more push-ups I can do than I did three months ago or how much weight I've lost. It looks at the day and it says to me, it might be the camera, hope this isn't where you're stopping. 
And so today, you, you might be the camera person, you might be a mirror person, but, but let this examination, this Bible-led evaluation tell you the truth about yourself, but the whole truth. Let it show you that you aren't what you were, even as it shows you you aren't what you will be. Let the progress the Spirit reveals remind you that as a member of His kingdom, in fact, by His promise, your good fruit now will forever glorify Him as you are being changed, as you are being made pure gold in Christ Jesus. You see, that's the promise of God for you and for all who love Jesus. That's something then that is fully predictable in your life. Now, Jesus reminds us in verse 45 that that out of the heart's treasure come our actions and also what comes out of our mouths. So what treasure do your motivations, actions, and words reveal? Don't be easy on yourself. But if you find when you reflect back that your motivations, actions, and words reflect a growing love for Him, then you can say from experience, the predictable experience of God's people, well, yes, I am an heir of salvation, a purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Yes, my life is more and more a foretaste of heaven divine. My heart is more and more set on loving and following and bearing good fruit for His honor than it ever used to be. And if that's true, then it's because the King of Heaven is changing you. You have great reason then to be assured when you hear the words, that you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Master. And His Spirit has done that. And rejoice because He will continue His good work in you until the day of Christ Jesus. That's predictable too because that's the impact of being in His kingdom. And so my plea to you is that as as you read through this passage later today or this week, that you go to Him and ask Him to show you the inclination of your heart your motivation for what you do, and if your motivation is not pleasing to Him, and that's okay with you, make no excuses. It's because you are the wrong kind of tree. But if you're saying He can change that, so plead with Him to do so. But if you're seeing growth of the right fruit in you, the good works from the obedience of faith done because He is glorious to you, and so you live for His honor, for His praise. If that's the kind of fruit you are seeing, my goodness, rejoice! That can only become because it can only be true because you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, how do we protect our hearts from treasuring anyone or anything other than Jesus? Others stronger than we are today have fallen prey to this world's devices and Satan whispers. And and we can easily drift if we forget keeping our eyes fixed on Him and think only of the waves that surround us. So how do you protect the treasure? (laughs) Well, good news, it's by doing what you're doing right now. Making worship with God's people in His church a priority. 
It's by assuming that the Spirit is at work in, in, your, in your times, that is, your times alone with Him, because He is. <laughs> because He is. I mean, oddly, maybe. It's also by continuing to live in the reality that you aren't doing good enough and you never will. But don't let the guilt factor stop you from actively enjoying the life Jesus gives you today where you are. You see, behind that door marked guilt is a booby trap, so don't stop there. Don't enter into that. Don't fall into it. Bring the inward struggles then to Jesus each and every time you see or experience them. And then let them push you to keep leaning into the gospel for the rest of your life. After all, we'll be relying on Christ, on the Spirit's power for all eternity. So most certainly do that now in this sin-soaked world with all its dangers and toils and snares. After all, the gospel is becoming more and more precious because you recognize more and more of your need of Jesus. That's how it works, isn't it? And that's a sign that you're growing as a Christian. Before we go on, let me say that one place I notice a lot of people feeling guilty is that we haven't put enough time into our walk with keep you. But don't let the time that you don't have keep you in that guilt trip. Evaluate where you spend your time, of course. But remember, things change. Times of life change. For example, I have a lot more time now than I did just after my twins were born. I can't look back at those times as times that I wasn't faithful. You can't look at the busy times of your life as the unfaithful times either. Of course be disciplined. I'm saying to use what you have where you are in this life right now. Remember that this life is one thing made up of many parts. And you'll experience Him in those times of private and public worship. And you will also experience Him through faithful obedience when, for example, you do your job well in His name for His glory. When in His name you do the good works that you were created to walk in. The, the minute-by-minute minute offering of your life and living for His glory and so enjoying Him forever expands true worship from only those times of private and public worship to include all that you have offered to Him when by the mercies of God you present your bodies as a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You in Christ who have done that, you are the good trees, and by His Spirit, predictably, good fruit is born. Yes, he works quietly, calmly, over time, seemingly in secret, like yeast moving through the dough. But predictably, his work shows in the loaf that is your life. So in his kingdom, your life is predictably fruitful. And second, in his kingdom, 
your life is predictably stable. In his kingdom, your life is predictably stable. That's verses 46 to 49. Of course, you've got the main or the point of that verse already down where he's talking about the stable foundation and that sort of thing. Bad foundation of a house means it's fall. A good one means it will stand. You know that. It's at the beginning of the paragraph where Jesus asks this diagnostic question. Why do you call me Lord? when you won't do what I say? <laughs> I mean, that's where we have to focus, isn't it? In that fact, by, I mean, obviously, it's the person who not only calls Jesus Lord, but acts on that fact by doing what he says, his life, her life is a firm foundation. And thank God, Jesus is Lord of all, of all, and not... The teams our, our children are on that push us to ignore the fact that Jesus is Lord of all, they aren't Lord of all. Neither are our jobs Lord of all. Not even our desires, for example, to enjoy one more cup of coffee on the back porch on a Sunday morning. Jesus is Lord, not those things. Not everyone thinks that way, but we do. We do, and once we understand that He is Lord and we are not, we can thank God that by the illumination of the Spirit, He really is our firm foundation now. Tim Keller talked about the time when he first recognized what it means when the Bible says Jesus is Lord. It was when, as a college student, he went to a conference, and a lady named Barbara Boyd gave a talk on the Lordship of Jesus. There were two things that she said about it. First, she said that since Jesus is Lord, you can't divide him and take the Jesus who is easy and doesn't take much room in your life over the Jesus who takes over every part of your life. She pointed out how ridiculous that is by saying that if, if you were to invite her over to dinner and, and when she knocks, you open the door and you say, well, come on in, Barbara, but boy, do you stay out. She said, I wouldn't know what to do. I'm Barbara Boyd, she said, not one or the other. I'm both of those things together and you can't divide Jesus either. He is Lord and you either accept him for all of who he is or you get none of him. And then she went on to describe and apply the reality of who Jesus is this way. She said, If the distance between the earth and the sun is like the thickness of a piece of paper, it would take a stack 70 feet high to represent the distance to the next nearest star. The stack of paper that represents here to show of our little galaxy would stretch 310 miles, she said, roughly from here to Charlotte. And our galaxy is just a speck in a universe of billions of galaxies. She went on to read from Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And she said, he holds everything together with his pinky. And then the punchline. Do you ask somebody like that in your, into your life to be your assistant? 
to be your assistant? Really? Do you ask him to be your assistant? Do you bring your agenda to somebody like that? Or do you ask him, what is your agenda? You probably came to Jesus at first with an agenda for him. You needed help. And it was needing that help that got your attention, that you needed him. That's good. But you didn't stay there, did you? I mean, didn't you, by his grace, finally say, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. That's the stable foundation that will sustain your life because He is the stable foundation that sustains all of life and particularly, specifically you. You've probably seen people who live with Jesus as their firm foundation, people who have gone through hard, hard things, who who pray like Jesus did, Father, if there is any other way, take this cup from me, but thy will be done. The heartache, they say, tend to compare them to Job because in the real tears and the heartache, they say, blessed be the name of the Lord. They're like roadmaps for the rest of us, aren't they? I mean, how did they get there? Well, they built their house on the rock, which is Jesus, him who holds the universe together and who is also the one they know as the good shepherd who sovereignly guides their life and, as you know, your life. If your foundation is the same as theirs, then when the time comes and you're looking back on your life from the perspective of heaven, you will say, surely goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life and here I am in his house forever. I doubt it will take that long, but you'll surely, surely see it then, won't you? Of course you will. That's predictable. The Lord knows how changing this life is, after all. He's the one who changes it for us. He called Abraham out of the comfortable, the known, the expected, the seemingly stable, to go off to a new land. And it's like that over and over with the people in the Bible. At some point, every story in the Bible screams that this is not the stability that person expected for their life. Instead, he gives a different stability, a better stability that witnesses to the world what we want them to know. I have a Redeemer, and great is his faithfulness. The stability he gives, it's not just that now you have a calm personality. Many Christians don't. It doesn't come just because you get older or richer or more settled. Ask any person you're trying to talk to about giving up their car keys or moving into a place where they can care for themselves or be cared for sufficiently. And you'll see very clearly that age and money don't make people feel more stable and secure. 
No, but this faith that we have been given puts us in the kingdom of the unchanging God whose plan for your life goes in only one direction. This faith of ours usually looks a lot like that progress that Peter made in his life. First, he went from fisherman to disciple. That was a privilege. That was a joy. But then Jesus moved him from the safety of the boat into the water where he progressed into sinking but into the water. But then he called out for the safety of Jesus. Yet, isn't that exactly what makes it surprising and confusing to read about his mess up when he went from, Jesus, I'll die with you, to, I don't know him. Never seen him. I don't know him at all. Yet the next step was for Peter to hear the words from Jesus. So, Peter, do you love me? And by the work of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when we hear that question that he heard like him, we hear our voices say, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then we too hear his gracious invitation, join in my work in this world, feed my sheep. So here's a question. Is it dangerous to live this way? It's dangerous if you don't. Ask the one talent man about the results of listening to the, his idea of what was safe. Will calling Jesus Lord and doing what he says cause you to lose your life? Well, that's the point. <laughs> the one who is Lord calls us to die to self. Take up your cross, follow me. Do any of us imagine that being a kingdom people is not scary? It can be quite scary. often is, but it is safe. And if you are a member of his kingdom, then yes, you struggle, but you don't fall apart. You have a redeemer. You have a God who has lived this life like us, born the worst that anybody could bear, which of course is our sin. He pled to be free from the burden, but he never deviated from the task of redeeming us. The same spirit that led him is the spirit who dwells in us. So that we say, for example, as did William Borden, he was a young man who in the last century gave away his fortune to be a missionary but then died of meningitis in Egypt during his last step of getting to the field to serve his Lord. And after giving away his fortune, he wrote in his Bible, no reserve. Leaving home and family, knowing that he would probably never see them again, he wrote in his Bible, no return. And learning that he would not recover from his illness and would never fulfill what he thought was his, the goal of his life, he wrote, no regret. See, those are the words of someone with firm and eternal stability that only our God gives. And that's the kind of thing we'll all say on our deathbed if we're in Christ. Or consider Elizabeth Elliot, who on leaving her place of ministry with tribes in Ecuador with very little to show for it but hardship and, and loss, wrote in her diary, Lord, you have kept your word. Or how about the words of her martyred first husband who wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, 
Those are kingdom words. Those are our words. There are probably some here who don't quite know what that's about. Life is hard for you. Things aren't looking like they're going to be fixed. But isn't that exactly the situation of the disciples on the road to Emmaus just after the resurrection? Remember that? The men moaning over the death of their hopes and dreams because Jesus' death. But he told them to expect it. He told them to expect a resurrection. How silly does that look to us? But hasn't he told us what to expect in this life and the next? Well, he has. Which is why the words of the whole Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor, blessed are you who are hungry, who weep, who people hate, who people exclude and revile, they make sense to us. They describe Jesus' lifestyle, and he calls us to join in with him. And if they make sense to you and you intend to follow him, they are life and they are health and they are peace and the pathway that has led you safe thus far and the pathway that will lead you home. The way people deal with troubles without Jesus is to lie to themselves. And that works right up until it doesn't. So now my plea, my invitation to you is this. Build your life on him who will change you, who will shake you, who will surprise you, who will enthrall you, who will delight you, who will make you question yourself and your choices, but will never leave you or forsake you and will always be a stone of help, a rock of stability in this life. You who love Jesus enjoy the only possible result of consistently coming to Him, hearing from Him, and doing what He invites and commands you to do. And the only possible result is eternal fruit and eternal stability. Without Jesus, which you avoid the inevitable and total destruction of a life without Jesus. And so blessed are those who hear his words, and blessed are you who keep them. Let's pray.